Hi, it's John here. When you look outside these days, it's hard not to encounter the pandemic and climate change and social upheaval. And in the face of such massive global disruptions, everyone seems to be talking about how we can regain stability and rebuild prosperity. And the first impulse of many Canadians, understandably, is to look to the government for help. And while government action is critical, we also need to look beyond government. We need a forward-looking, resilient generation of young entrepreneurs who can bring us into a new economy more sustainably, more equitably, and more profitably. Which is why I'm so excited today to be bringing you a conversation with some of Canada's most promising and innovative new business leaders. This is RBC Disruptors, a podcast focused on helping Canada thrive in this age of disruption. I'm your host, John Stackhouse. As part of RBC's future launch, which is a $500 million commitment to Canadian youth, we've collaborated with an incredible organization called Next Canada. Next Canada runs a number of streams aimed at helping young entrepreneurs make our country more ambitious and competitive. To date, they've helped launch more than 600 ventures and scale up more than 250 others, and they're just getting going. There are programs like Next36, which works with recent grads to take the skills they've learned in school and turn them into viable businesses. There's Next AI, which helps emerging entrepreneurs from around the world develop their AI ventures right here in Canada. And there's Next Founders, an impressive crash course for growth stage founders who are ready to take their businesses global. Today on the podcast, I'm excited to feature some of these remarkable young entrepreneurs who have come up through the next system, from revolutionizing the fast fashion industry to making food preservatives that are all natural to improving our mental health. We'll hear all about their businesses and how they're dealing with the obstacles presented by the pandemic. But most importantly, I want to talk about some of the values they bring to the work they do, because I think paying attention to shifting values will be essential to finding and building a way forward. I want to start with two female founders who represent the kind of ambition and imagination Canada will need to thrive in the 2020s and beyond. Natasha Dayagoudet is the co-founder and CEO of Kinova Bioworks, and Myra Arshad is the founder and CEO of Altex. Welcome both of you to RBC Disruptors. Thanks, John. Great to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Natasha, let's start with you. Uh, Tell us what drove you to start your own company. Yes. So I immigrated from India to Canada when I was 10 years old. I grew up in Fredericton, New Brunswick, where I got a degree in biochemistry and microbiology. After graduation, I started working with an accelerator incubator program in Fredericton and got introduced to the world of startups. This was really my first time being exposed to this field and coming from a very technical background, I never really thought that someone could go out and just start a company. That idea was quite foreign to me. I ended up meeting my co-founder, David, at a networking event at the incubator. We found that we had really similar interests, especially about food and the food industry that faces a lot of challenges like food waste and unhealthy artificial ingredients you know, $50 billion worth of food is wasted in Canada alone. And this loss shows us that there's no shortage or lack of food, but the main issue or the main culprit in the situation is spoilage. Dave and I really look to nature 
um, where we came across a natural and sustainable alternative to artificial ingredients that are currently used in food and beverage products in a fiber that we found extracted from the stems of white button mushrooms. So we founded Kinova Bioworks in 2016, so it's been about five years now, and our mission is to use the power of mushrooms to improve the quality, freshness, and shelf life of food and beverage products to help reduce food waste. It's such an interesting problem to take on, and I think we've all been reminded in this pandemic of how much we take for granted our food and food delivery. We saw shortages, but we also saw wastage. It's so inefficient, our, our food systems, and a real opportunity for an agriculture country like Canada to not just help ourselves, but uh, help the world become much more efficient and sustainable. But it's a giant problem. Is your company setting out to solve the global problem or just one slice of it, if I can put it that way? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it is definitely a very big problem to solve. The way that we are tackling this challenge is by specifically focusing on the ingredient space. So what we've been able to do is with our natural mushroom extract that we've developed, this technology um, really helps inhibit different spoilage microorganisms that are growing in different food and beverage products. And through that, we're able to successfully extend the shelf life of different food and beverage products. And that in itself will help solve some of food waste and some of the issues that consumers are facing in this global challenge. So we're tackling it specifically in the arena of clean label ingredients and bringing that to consumers, brands and retailers. Your business model probably didn't include contingencies for a global pandemic. How have the last six months been for you as an entrepreneur? I remember in the early weeks of the crisis, listening to um, many investors, venture capital leaders, telling entrepreneurs, rule number one, don't run out of cash. Right. <laughs> kind of the rule number one for any crisis, do not run out of cash. How did you get through those trying months? Definitely not a part of our business model, this pandemic. And yes, that's a really good rule. We are trying to be as lean as possible, uh, getting a lot of support from the government. Um, New Brunswick is an amazing province to do business, um, especially for people within the manufacturing or research and development sector. What we've seen is this pandemic has had a great impact on food choice and availability of food, leaving a very lasting impression in consumers' minds. And the big trend that we see emerging for the future of the food tech industry is the need and urgency to take measures to keep natural um, artisanal products safe and stable. We're seeing that now more than ever within the industry. Myra, I want to hear all about Altex and what you're building, but let me ask you first about your journey in becoming an entrepreneur. We just heard from Natasha who said she didn't expect to become an entrepreneur. Do you feel you were born an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think my experience was a little bit different from Natasha's in the sense that I do want to say that I, I, I always knew I was going to take a bit of a non-traditional path. And I think it really goes back to kind of my foundation and how I got to Canada. So we emigrated here when I was one and we really only had a couple hundred dollars in our pockets. And I think what really fueled me was this passion to create something bigger for my parents and for my family and the people that I really wanted to impact. 
And so I'm definitely fueled by that need to kind of change systems. And when I came here, I think I saw things through a very different lens than people who have grown up here. I saw the problems with the systems. And you mentioned infrastructure, you know, our climate infrastructure is failing, our economic infrastructures are failing, and our social infrastructures are failing. And because of the hardships that I saw as a kid growing up, I think I was just a lot more aware of these issues. And so that's what really kind of fueled my will to go into entrepreneurship and change those systems for the better. And I think that's also what fuels a lot of people from my generation. And we're so well connected these days, you know, because of the internet and social media that the problems that are happening around the world are really right in front of our face. So I think what really motivated me towards Altex, it it started back in 2013, you know, when the Dhaka garment factory collapsed and killed over a thousand people. And that really led me to dig more into the fashion industry and, you know, why are shirts only costing us five, ten, twenty dollars when there's so much that goes into it? And I saw a lot of flaws in the system. And this industry specifically is really close to my heart. We really wear these values on our back and I wanted to change it. And I thought the only way to do that was really to get my hands dirty and create something different. So tell us a bit about what's called sustainable fabric. Until recently, probably a lot of people didn't appreciate the economic and ecological footprint of fashion. And now many, if not most of us are aware of the environmental cost of our jeans or our t-shirts. So there is a lot of interest in uh, sustainable fabric. Tell us a bit about the technology and how quickly it's moving. You know what? I'm going to say something that's pretty controversial and that the technology is moving really slow. The last major innovation we saw in the fabric space was essentially after World War II when polyester was created. The reason that technology is not moving fast enough is because people within the ecosystem, so textile manufacturers and retailers, are perfectly happy because they're benefiting from these kind of low-cost materials But the thing that's really causing the technology or forcing the technology to change is really us. It's people on the outside that are realizing fashion is now the second most polluting industry in the world in terms of total ecological footprint. So it's this acute awareness that's kind of pushing these companies that have been complacent with, you know, polyester, cotton to now innovate. So the main issue that we saw in this ecosystem was the materials that were being used. They were using resources that were constantly in competition with for food, for land, for water. And so our whole philosophy is to use alternative resources that will always be abundantly available to create fabric, which is something that touches all of us and will always need. And explain a bit, uh, hopefully in lay terms, because uh, I was never good at chemistry. Tell us a bit about the fabrics and the building materials for those fabrics and how they differ from perhaps the fabrics that are on our backs today. Sure. Yeah. So it was, I I hear you on the chemistry front. I was business grad, so never really my forte there until recently. And I have a great team of scientists behind me, but we really saw the core problem being in synthetic fabrics. So polyester consists of 65% of the total market share for fabrics. It's one that we're heavily dependent on, yet it's the one that uses the most resources, you know, fossil fuels and water and energy to create. So our goal is to replace polyester by essentially creating a biopolyester. And so We really tackle this problem by seeing what are the alternative resources that we can use to create polyester. And we surprisingly came across food waste after multiple iterations. Turns out food waste is rich in a lot of sugars and starches that are used to create these biopolymers. And so we created a process through a lot of trial and error to use food waste, regenerate it into this biopolyester that is now carbon neutral and biodegradable because it's from this biosourced feedstock. And so the idea here is really to replace replace polyester with this sustainable and carbon neutral material. What a great explanation. I think I um, might pass a test on uh, <laughs> on that. Um, Natasha and Myra, I can't help but think about how both 
your stories, both your companies obviously have sustainability at their core. That's your purpose. Curious what that says about your generation and how you think about sustainability and profitability, because you both have uh, investors, uh, you've got to make money to keep the business going, but also to grow it so it can contribute to a better world. Mm -hmm. Our generation is so acutely aware of everything that's going on in the world because it's just constantly in front of our faces with the level of connectivity that we have these days. So it's really hard to turn away from the, the fact that climate change is happening. It's now social injustices are happening. These things are right in front of our face. And we're realizing our generation and our children and grandchildren will be the ones to pay the consequences if we don't do something to change that. And you're totally right. A lot of my friends who are in the entrepreneurship space, we're noticing that we're all creating impact businesses. And I think it's really that drive to change the world for the better, realizing that the systems that have been operating so far are broken and they haven't been positively contributing in many ways. It's what motivates us to do something different. Yeah. And just to add to that, I think it's a top priority for this young generation to feel that they're fulfilling a need that has become like an integral part of their identity. And not to say they're different from previous generations. They have have the same needs as the rest of the workforce. Um, you know, everybody wants a job that gives you a purpose and makes you feel as though you're making an impact. I think a big difference here with this generation is that they're really vocal. They want freedom to choose uh, what to do. They want control over their work. They want to have some kind of social impact, long lasting impact in the world. So definitely agree with Myra. They're just very, very vocal. Um, and that definitely comes from transparency with technology. Mm -hmm. You're, you're both disruptors and you're taking on fairly established industries, the food industry and the fashion industry. What kind of response do you get from those traditional industries when you are coming at them, maybe respectfully, but you're coming at them with new technologies, new business models and a new purpose? Yeah. Um, speaking about the ingredient manufacturing industry, it is very, very rooted in tradition. You're absolutely right. There is not a lot of disruptions. Brands and co-packers, they've been using kind of the same artificial ingredients for years now like the benzoates and the sorbates that we typically see in most of our food products. What we're seeing within this space is that it's the consumers. They're driving the change within the industry. They're demanding more transparency and they're becoming increasingly aware of the different ingredients that go into making their products. And we're seeing that manufacturers and producers, they have to keep up. They're under a lot of pressure to start reformulating their products changing up the ingredients that they're using there because of this consumer push. This disruption is coming and it's coming from younger generations. It's coming from more information, more access, um, and more transparency from the farm to fork process that consumers are reading about. I'm curious how the pandemic is changing your thinking or your view of markets. Certainly people are going to be much more price conscious uh, in tougher economic times. We may see tighter supply chains less movement of goods uh, globally, we'll see. Uh, and it's an open question as to whether people's values are going to change. Tell us a bit about how your own thinking towards your businesses is evolving through this. That's a that's kind of the big question where we really won't see whether people's values or people's wallets are going to kind of outcompete or outperform in the actual new normal once we get there. But there's a lot of research around this right now. And specifically for the fashion industry, what we're finding is that sustainability is really going to be the make or break factor when people kind of 
come out of this pandemic in this slump and and want to re-engage with brands in a meaningful way. And I think what really propelling that is people sitting at home and really reevaluating their values and thinking about the things that they want to be investing in, their time and their wallets and and all of that. And so although we're kind of just going to have to see how this plays out, there's, you know, a huge opportunity for us to reconnect with customers and re-engage their values of sustainability and ethics and bring them back to something that's more valuable than just spending $20 on a shirt. It's really about reconnecting to the product on a more deeper level through the story and through the people who have made that product. So Natasha, you're in the food business and food is notoriously price sensitive. How do you sense consumers are going to balance this desire for more sustainable, healthier uh, food products with the need to manage tight household budgets. What we're finding is 90% of consumers today read ingredient labels, and many producers are now delivering these clean label products. Um, The interest in clean label foods is not just focused on one generation. Uh, Millennials definitely help bring about this movement, but I think it's focused on how well-informed consumers are about healthy eating and what drives them. Also with ever-changing specialty diets like keto, plant-based, gluten-free, lactose-free, there will always be a continued demand for manufacturers to deliver products that fit lifestyle needs. And so yes, the question about paying premium for products is definitely a big question. And we're really going to have to see how it plays out. But I think with changing lifestyles, I think with changing diets and people wanting more sustainable natural alternatives, uh, people are willing to pay to get healthy and to get fit. I think that's a really big need. And we're seeing that pre-pandemic and right now more than ever. I think additionally, there's a more positive way of framing this than the challenge of tough economic times. Uh, So much of what we take for granted with food and clothing depends on cheap labor. And that's not going to be the business model, uh, at least to the degree it was in the decades ahead. All of this, of course, though, depends on us and entrepreneurs being willing and able to go global. When you think about taking your companies global or at least exporting your technologies, what are the biggest challenges and what do you feel you need most to succeed in that arena? Natasha, let's start with you. The first thing I think of, of course, is financial help. Um, We definitely need the investment to help us get access to those different markets. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing in terms of support that we would need is access to the global market. So one of the major drivers is definitely access to a strong network that we need in place, whether it's to entrepreneurs, investors, mentors, advisors that kind of help guide our path, help raise investment and get access to new markets and get our products out there. So programs like Next Canada really give companies access to the connections and networks that they need for support and growth that will help accelerate them to the next level and help them get access to new markets so that they can help with exporting their goods. So that's one big thing I think that has helped us um, get out there and start selling our products globally. Myra, you've got enormous global opportunities, I suspect, down the road. What are going to be the biggest challenges for you and what what do you think you will need to succeed? John, I, I want to kind of flip that question on its head for a second and come back to the answer. But I really want to challenge this notion that we can't make things in Canada, right? 
We're definitely more of a technology and innovation focus here, but what we're starting to see increasingly, and I think the pandemic is really going to accelerate this, is manufacturing and labor coming back to Canada. We have to remember why it actually left Canada, right? It left because in places like um, Asia and, and, and countries in that, on that side of the world, labor was extremely cheap. But we're starting to realize that we don't want that. We're, we're starting to realize the true cost of that. And so when we truly evaluate these things and, and the true cost of labor, there's no real difference in manufacturing in Canada and in these global countries. So one of our kind of what's core to our ethos is really bringing that talent and that manufacturing power back in Canada and being these made in Canada brands that can really fuel our national economy internally. So I want to say there's huge opportunity within Canada to start with. But then to answer your question, I think there needs to be more of a global interaction of the entrepreneurship community and economy, right? So I think one thing that's really helped us is going to international, well, virtually going to international conferences and incubators and accelerators and such that allow us to connect to that community. But I think the support that we could really look for going forward is these communities interacting with each other more actively to move talent around and to really facilitate that movement of funds and talent so that we can truly make a global impact. And so we're definitely going to be watching out for those opportunities as we go global. I think you've just illustrated perfectly what an entrepreneur is. When others see obstacles, you see opportunities. When others say things aren't going to happen, you say, yeah, I think they can happen and you'll, you'll make it happen. That's, that's wonderful. As we wrap up this section, I'd love to take you both back to something you said at the beginning about your own upbringing, both children of immigrants. Your parents decided to come to this country to build a new future for your families and for you, and you're now building that, that future. What would they say about your choice to become entrepreneurs? <laughs> oh, man. My dad would be like, why are you not working a nine to five in the tallest glass ceiling you can find in Toronto with a stable paycheck? <laughs> he still holds on to that and I love him for it. He's always asking me when I'm going to get my next degree and, and what's going to be my next kind of real job. And you know what? It really comes from a place of hardship. When we came here, he had to work three jobs with multiple, you know, just so many obstacles around him to really put food on the table. And he values stability. He had the, you know, they were kind of in survival mode and we have the luxury to truly explore what our purpose in life is. So that's what his response would be. And hopefully in the next five to 10 years, I can change that for him. <laughs> Mine would be very similar to that. Um, my dad was very, very hesitant for me to leave my stable job at the incubator accelerator that I was working at to go start Kynova. So there's definitely... The South Asian culture is definitely rooted in tradition, much like our industries are. We're just working to fight through that every day. And I think that exactly what Myra said, we're going to prove to them that, you know, we don't have to go down these traditional paths and we can kind of pull through and we can change and disrupt these industries and change the narrative. I think you both identified an enormous opportunity for Canada. Entrepreneurs like both of you are pursuing the entrepreneurial path as well and doing it with a global mindset, but also with this passion and purpose around sustainability, which can create all sorts of opportunities for Canada as we look to build a new and more sustainable and more resilient economy in the 2020s. Myra and Natasha, I want to thank you each for coming on RBC Disruptors and wish you nothing but the best with your sustainable businesses. Yeah, thanks so much, John. This is great. Yes, thanks so much for having us. You're listening to RBC Disruptors. I'm John Stackhouse, 
I've been speaking with Natasha Diagude, the co-founder and CEO of Kinova Bioworks, and Myra Arshat, the founder and CEO of Altex. Both entrepreneurs came up through Next Canada's 2020 training programs. If you like what you're hearing, and if you value these conversations, please like, subscribe, and maybe even write us a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with me on Twitter at StackhouseJohn. So what we've been hearing from the next generation of entrepreneurs is this clearly articulated desire to make the world a better place. My next guest is no exception. Zach McMahon took part in Next Canada's Next AI program this year. He's the co-founder and CEO of Lucid. It's an all-music therapy company that builds products to increase access to safe and effective methods for improving mental health. One of those products, called Vibe, has just launched on the App Store. Thanks for joining me on Disruptors, Zach. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. So tell us first a bit about Lucid and what drove you to start the company. Yeah. So Lucid is, like you said, a company that's building a digital music therapy to help people cope and manage day-to-day mental health challenges, which I think a lot of us are going through in a very acute and new way right now. I met my CTO uh, and the kind of originator of the ideas at Lucid, Aaron LeBay. A couple of years ago, I was on the search for some new technologies and answers for a mental health challenge that somebody in my family was enduring. And I met Aaron and he told me his story and I fell in love with the concept. Aaron uh, was studying music in New York and ended up having to step back from that due to a mental health challenge. Uh, music pulled him through it as traditional forms of therapy, uh, medication let him down. And so you know, he used his personal experiences to drive him toward innovation to help himself. And then after his recovery, you know, the ecosystem here in Toronto between Ryerson and Mars and, and whatnot pushed him towards unleashing that for everybody. And we've kind of been on that journey for a couple of years now. And you've launched this product, as we mentioned, called Vibe that creates what are called soundtracks for stress relief. But I wonder, you know, music is so subjective. My stress relief probably differs from yours. How, how does it work? And, and, and critically, where does AI come into it? Yeah, so AI is very important in this space. There's um, a deep body of research that points to music's ability to be therapeutic and beneficial in a lot of different domains and indications, um, everything from anxiety, stress, cognitive decline, uh, epilepsy, seizure frequency prevention. And there's even a company that just won FDA breakthrough designation called MedRhythms that's using music to help people learn how to walk again faster after a stroke. But in terms of the subjectivity around it. AI is important to come in and actually understand what works for Zach versus what works for John or another user because it is so personal. And so the approach we take to this is one of measurement. And we all know from the business world, you can only manage what you measure, but just in, in, terms, of, in terms of other therapies, it's the same thing. So we understand and we measure our users' mental states or emotional states before and after an experience. And then we compare that change in their, in their cognitive state to what they listen to. Now, with enough data and a diverse population of users, we can start to really unlock the power of, of music as a therapeutic. So it's a very exciting thing to be working on. That's really interesting. And what we've been talking about on this episode is this new generation of entrepreneurs up against a new economic era that may be more challenging than anything 
we've seen and how as a country we need to get behind this new generation. We've got to help more younger Canadians become entrepreneurs and become successful, ambitious, global entrepreneurs. I'm intrigued with your company, how it combines science, technology, and social good. You're bringing together AI and music to address mental health. And curious what that might say about your generation and what it can do for Canada in the 2020s. Yeah, I think there's a there's no lack of motivation amongst especially the millennials that are that are coming out of school with, you know, with some experience, uh, some technical abilities and deciding that they want to, you know, make a pivot uh, and and I've seen that in Next Canada at the Creative Destruction Lab and other incubators where an individual will get all these tools uh, and they'll lift themselves out of a, a little bit of a financial hole with with student loans and whatnot. And then once they get to a, a comfortable place in life, they kind of say, hey, you know, what could I be doing for uh, the younger version of me? Or what could I be doing for society? Uh, the world is a, an amazing place right now. And I think if you're in the tech ecosystem, you see what's coming. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's easier to be hopeful. But there's so many things that can be addressed and resolved. And the internet and communication, uh, Zoom, uh, it's, it's allowing us to innovate a lot faster. I think that my generation and the generation right ahead of me, they know that and they're going to be working at warp speed to build, new, to build new things. Zach, what made you become an entrepreneur or do you feel you were born one? I'd like to think I was born one. That, I think that might be generous. I didn't grow up in a family of means, but I had a wonderful upbringing. And you know, I was taught, you know, if you see something you kind of own it. And coming into my, my early 30s and seeing what was available in the tech ecosystem and, and the capital that was available and the accelerators that were available, I took a conscious decision to say, hey, I'm going to take a break from my traditional career path and I'm going to go and devote myself to a cause and just see where it takes me. And the ecosystem here in Toronto was really able to catch that. Um, and it's it's made a a world of difference. Yeah, young, young entrepreneurs everywhere in the country have access to uh, to those support networks that are really world class. And it's not just in Toronto or Montreal or Vancouver, thanks to our colleges and universities in pretty much every corner of the country. But we also have to constantly remind ourselves that we are a small, small country. And uh, the great challenge for any entrepreneur is scaling and scaling quickly and taking your idea even to a global level before someone else does. What do you consider when you think about your biggest challenges and opportunities in going global? You know, entrepreneurship is this game of setting out on an adventure without all the resources that you need to get to where you want to go. And so whenever anybody asks me about, you know, what's the number one thing that an entrepreneur has to have, I think it's being resourceful. And so when I think about where we want to be in the future, we know 10 years from now, we would like to be known as the company that turned music into medicine in a real and tangible way. And so to do that, we need world-class talent in very niche and esoteric forms of, of study and, and lots of capital in order to grow. And so I think you start by thinking about your company as a small boat in this giant global ocean really helps from day one to say, okay, where are the pockets of people? Where are the pockets of money that we want to make friends, we want to network with and, and really tell our story? Thinking about your company, and I'd say to any new entrepreneur that's going to go out there and you know take on the world, is is really start making friends around the world, and that'll help you access the talent and the capital when you need it to scale. Zach, we've spoken to two other fellow entrepreneurs on this program, and across the board, we're seeing a passion to make the world a better place. 
I wonder as we move towards close, if you can share some thoughts on how this generation and this generation of entrepreneurs may be different and how do we as a country get behind this generation to ensure they lead us to a stronger, more resilient economy in the 2020s and beyond? Yeah, I think you know, for all of the negatives that we could point to in the world, I would say the millennials and the, and the Gen Zs that are coming up right now are very blessed or privileged to have open information, fast communications, the ability to innovate and test things out cheaply, a lot of different ecosystems and people, benefactors, programs to support new ideas and, and take them forward. And so I think the key to enabling all that talent and passion and, and entrepreneurial spirit is to, you know, one is don't get in its way. And then two, do whatever you can to boost it. And so I think the, the local business community uh, engaging with the accelerators like Next Canada to you know, step in and help entrepreneurs pilot their ideas to help them adjust their plans, to adjust their products and learn. That's huge. And I think we should also celebrate the wins and persevere through any kind of losses. There's a, a number of companies that have done some amazing things. Despite the setbacks with uh, pandemic and an economic setback, I think now's the time to really rally behind our sprouting ecosystem here of, of tech and, and software and, uh, and nurture that. So get behind this generation or get out of the way, uh, but hopefully we can all get, uh, get behind and stay behind. I've been speaking with Zach McMahon, the co-founder and CEO of Lucid. To learn more about him and his company or about the other entrepreneurs I've spoken with today, you can go to nextcanada.com. Thanks so much for joining me, Zach. Thank you. By now, every Canadian knows we're in the midst of a historic economic crisis. As we talk about how to build back better, as we talk about strengthening the Canadian economy, making it more resilient, more sustainable, we need to shift our focus increasingly away from governments and towards entrepreneurs. It's entrepreneurs who will be leading us through the 2020s and 2030s. Governments, of course, can and should support them, but we need those innovators, those creators, and yes, those disruptors to build that new economy. We've been hearing today from a few of an extraordinary generation of entrepreneurs who are about to take control of parts of the Canadian economy. They are the ones who are going to take us to a better place, I think, because as you heard, they have a different approach. Yes, they're entrepreneurs, they're risk takers, but they're also different in many ways from previous generations. Everything they do needs to have a social impact. It needs to serve a greater purpose than just the business that they're running and building. They're globally minded, they're vocal. They don't want to be silent on any issue that they care about, and they're not gonna be silent about their businesses. So we need to be prepared for a new generation of entrepreneurs who are going to be vocal about their businesses, but also about the issues. And then lastly, they're optimists. When so many of us are looking at the challenges right before us, they see opportunities. They don't think the world is coming to an end and they've got decades ahead of them. And that gives me hope that even in these challenging moments, this generation looks to the future optimistically. They see opportunities for themselves, for their businesses, for their communities, but also for Canada to build a more resilient and sustainable economy and to help the world rebuild in all sorts of exciting and creative ways that could make the 2020s the most exciting decade maybe that we've ever seen. It's gonna be in the hands of this generation and what incredible hands for it to be in if we all get behind them and let them take us to places that maybe we're not ready for, but ultimately are gonna be far better 
than where we are today. I'm John Stackhouse, and this is RBC Disruptors. Join us next time when we're going to revisit some predictions we made back in May about the pandemic and the way it's disrupting the Canadian economy. My colleagues at RBC have been busy observing the trends and updating their predictions, and I'm excited to bring you the results. Talk to you then. RBC Disruptors is created by the RBC Thought Leadership Group and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and recorded by JAR Audio. For more RBC Disruptors content, like or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit rbc.com disruptors.